everybody, this is James Wilson with MTB Strength Training Systems and welcome to another edition of the MTB Strength Coach Podcast. Today I've got a special guest uh, as a fellow strength coach and cycling coach and uh, we share some similar ideas and, and philosophies and he kind of works with a little bit different group of riders so I thought it'd be interesting to get his take on some of this stuff. Um, but I uh, got Coach Al Painter on with me. Al, how are you doing today, buddy? Pretty good, James. How about you, man? I'm doing really well, really well. So, uh, again, um, Coach Al is the owner of Integrate Fitness. Um, he's a, a NASM, National Academy of Sports Medicine. He's got the CPT, the CES, and the PES. Uh, OMG, that's a lot. It is a lot, man. <laughs> so, what exactly does all of that mean? That means that I can train somebody and I got a pretty good idea of what they need. Of what they need, right. So, yeah, but like you're saying, you, you, you took the extra time and, and money and invested it in uh, um, getting some specialized uh, certifications that allows you the to kind of see things from a little bit different perspective than your average personal trainer, yeah? Yeah, and I like the NASM approach because it was started by a physical therapist, and I think they're they're really solid with their kinetic chain teachings and understandings and whatnot. And it's it's the philosophy that spoke to me the most when I was deciding to, to get back into training there, and and uh, I really like their programs quite a bit. So the the PES is performance enhancement specialist, so that's geared towards athletic populations, and corrective exercise specialist is just helping people get put back together if they got aches and pains, and then the certified personal trainer is just the the gateway drug to the other two right right yep yep exactly (laughs) um nice and so and like i mentioned uh during the introduction um you you work with riders and endurance athletes and we share some very similar training philosophies and influences on what we do so you, you know you started out with mountain biking and then kind of segued into doing the some road cycling and stuff and so the the Athletes that you work with are a little bit different than just kind of uh, average mountain bikers. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the, the athletes that you typically work with? Uh, Ironman triathletes. I work with one of the uh, – a sponsor of one of the triathlon clubs locally here, so I, I see a lot of their folks. And, you know, I work with century riders, uh, wreck mountain bikers, and a couple of my mountain bikers, they race from time to time. Okay, cool. And uh, it's primarily on the strength side. I don't really get too much into the, the coaching side of it on the bike because there's people like you who are just much better at it than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, yeah. Uh, I leave that to the trained professionals. The the other side, I mean, it's primarily, and I'm, I'm sure you see this quite a bit, it's it's trying to undo the seated position at work and the seated position on the bike, right? Open up that front half, get that posterior chain fired up. And I apologize if this is a review. If you listen to Bike James Show, I'm sure you hear this quite a bit or look at his site. And just getting those glutes to fire, right, and then trying to fight the upper cross and lower cross and pronation distortion syndromes. And when the, the feet pronate because the knees come in towards the middle of the body and just keep people functioning and, and letting them know that, yes, you can, in fact, lift weights and work out on top of riding a bike. It is okay. Yeah, yeah. Not only <laughs> not only okay, but uh, um, it has kind of a, a compound effect where you know taking an hour away from doing extra cardio training and devoting it to a, a good strength and mobility program you know you'll you'll get more out of that hour than if you had just continued to pound the same cardio nail over and over and so i think that like i said that's one of the things that we've we've both found in working with these athletes and, and like i said one of the reasons i want to get you on is because you you know you work with um, a group that would be considered more of the, you know, the, the endurance, I mean, Ironman triathletes, I mean, it doesn't really get much more hardcore when it comes to endurance yeah. than, uh, than that. And so, uh, you know, I'll say, I, you know, one of the, the common knocks against me and my system is that, oh, it's only for downhillers or it's only for, you know, free riders or, or guys like that. And that it doesn't really have as much carryover for, cross-country riders and people that, um, you know, more of the endurance stuff. And so, like I said, I just find it real interesting that here you are working with athletes that are much further advanced down the endurance spectrum and yet uh, still doing a lot of the same stuff and, and, uh, and, and working with them on a lot of the same things. So what are some of the, uh, the common things you kind of hit on 
on some of it. I mean, I think like the diagonal patterns is something that's, you know, pretty interesting. I, it's something that, uh, um, I haven't really talked about a lot myself and on the podcast or in my, on the blog. And so why don't you explain a little bit about like the diagonal patterns and how they help kind of reset the system? That's something that's really important. And, and I don't really see it that much, for instance, like at a commercial facility or, or a big box gym, you know, you see your traditional, bench right fellows love the bench we love benching you know we love the bicep curls and everything else and that's all well and good however if you're going to be engaged in endurance sports you need to make sure that your hips and your shoulders are connected through your trunk right when you put all that rotational force into the middle of the body if you don't have the necessary strength and and core stability to disperse that force particularly if you're going to ride a mountain bike and, and ride technical trails it's going to take its toll on your body you know can you get into a split stance position and hold on to rubber tubing or a cable pulley and feel the back's leg glute working with the front side obliques. I mean, are you connected in that fashion? Do your ribs separate from your hips in terms of flaring? So you're getting shorter in the back and longer in the front. When you're doing a kettlebell swing, can you hold that, that connection tight in the front side to get the back side to come through the swing for you? So, you know, it's, it's all a matter of, of getting hips and shoulders working together to protect knees and ankles, really. I mean, ultimately, that's what we need to do to keep that short foot and work on that tripod that Mike Robertson talks about in the foot to get that good connection up into the hips. Yeah, nice. And um, we were talking about, uh, you read, uh, what was it? Um, pressing reset, was that it? Oh, original strength. Original strength. Okay, yeah, same, but the, he they, he wrote the Pressing Reset book yes, as, as well, well yes. and, and very similar, from what I understand, they're, they're very similar in the message and the, and the content and stuff, and those, those diagonal patterns, um, again, for, for people that aren't real familiar, is, is that the, the way the body's set up is, is in, an, in an X, you know, we have an X on the front and the back, and, you know, getting all that stuff is, is how you kind of address when one of those starts to get out of whack, but you know, basically your left side, lower body is set up to work with your right side, upper body and vice versa. So if people think about like when you throw, you know, if you throw a baseball or, or a ball and, and you're going to plant, if you're right handed, you'll plant with your left foot and deliver the energy through the right arm and, you know, throwing a punch same way. And so, you know, uh, these diagonal patterns are the way that your body is originally set up. And if you look at how a child learns to walk, it's through... Um, getting the left and the right side working contralateral, yeah. which are those diagonal patterns. So as far as like resetting the system and like what, uh, one of the things that you touched on earlier is, is trying to get people out of that adult fetal position, that crouched over position that we find ourselves locked in. Um, and some of these diagonal patterns get literally turned off. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a basic level of movement that, a uh, a ten month old crawling around on the floor has that a lot of cyclists out there, um, you know, riding around don't have as much. And so, uh, what do you like to use? Like, what's kind of some of your favorite uh, strategies or exercises for kind of working on those diagonal patterns and, and kind of resetting the system like that? Single arm loaded carries for sure. I love that one. I uh, love the bird dog if people have the, the right lumbar angles that they can keep constant. I love the get-up, right? I've seen that on, on your side. The get-up to me is, you know, if there are only three exercises that you were allowed to do on the planet, I'd go with the get-up, uh, a deadlift variation, and probably a loaded carry, right? Because that get-up is going to hit everything. But that's under the assumption you've got the proper shoulder mobility, and when that arm goes overhead, that your thoracic spine, the mid-back, isn't arching and changing the angle of the low back, and the head's not shooting out. So if you've got the mobility, you know, look at James' side and check out his, his get-up videos because that's a phenomenal exercise, especially for a mountain biker because you'll get that, that static stability in between moves of the get-up that, I mean, when I do those consistently, my ability to track stand goes through the roof. It is, I have such a better connection to the bike, and and. I see. I like like I said, bird dogs carries, single arm carries, or offset loaded carries, uh, split stance push and pull with the cable pulley, you know, uh, bent over pulls with the uh, dumbbells or a cable. Anything that that I can put somebody into a split stance position or a single leg stance position and get the opposite arm going or a diagonal. I'm sorry, or an alternating arm pattern. 
that's that's what I could go with. And, and again, it comes down to what can somebody do, right? Right. You want yeah. to make sure you pick the right the right tool for the job. Uh, for hip mobility, I like goblet squats. You know, and, and Dan John special. That's that's a good one to work on over time, especially for that kind of thing. And and you want that as a mountain biker because you know when you get out of the saddle, as we all should, according to uh, our mutual <laughs> friend host here who told me that last week. <laughs> I, need to, I need to stand up more, which I have been doing actually. And um, it's funny, just when, real, real quick, true story. I was riding with a buddy of mine I don't ride with very often. He goes, James, I love riding with you. You remind me to stand up more often. Like, That's <laughs> right, buddy. Nice, nice. So, but when you stand up, though, let's say you you stand up and that right leg's driving down, that left arm's going across your body. It's pushing that bike across the body, you got that push-pull, right? That tricep extension, kind of bicep curl on the inside. If that timing is off, you're going to get robbed of power. You're going to fatigue faster. You might even cramp faster. You're not going to have as much fun riding. So it's it's really, really critical to be able to do that, which reminds you, split stance, pal-off press, and anti-rotation holds, I love. That work goes into just about every session that I do, actually. Yeah, those are good ones. I like those. Yeah. Those are good ones. Yeah, I like the. Uh, um, it's one of the reasons I I got a lot more into uh, the stagger stance exercises um, lately, like stagger stance deadlifts and stagger stance squats, and uh, I really like stagger stance um, uh, cheat curls and push presses and and things like that. Yeah, it's one of the one of the reasons is, is uh, you know getting that single leg work, working on those diagonal patterns and stuff like that. So. Uh, well, that's yeah. one of the things that, that I I don't know is is widely known or or what the, the information gap is. Because you'll see people doing traditional oblique work on the floor, and, and they're doing their diagonal crunching patterns and everything else. But if you... Oblique Yeah, if you just use one leg or one arm, boom. Right, right. You're, hit, you're hitting the same <laughs> muscles without having to spend 25 or 30 minutes on the floor at the end of a workout. Plus, if, if you're on your back... Mountain biking, you just crashed, right? Yeah. So it doesn't really look like mountain biking. You want to be upright in those split stance positions that, that James was talking James talking about because it's more applicable to what you're doing. Yeah, yep. For sure, yeah. That's uh um definitely something that, you know, people find. I mean a lot of a lot of riders can't ride switch foot. They get real uncomfortable when their non preferred foot goes forward. Yeah, and, yeah. and they don't even realize like 90% of that is it's a, it's a core strength and, and hip stability issue when your feet are split that way. And nine times out of 10, I can have someone do a split stance, you know, split squat or stagger stance squat or something like that. And whatever side they struggle on, I can tell them like, okay, I know what, like, I know what your dominant foot forward and what your switch yep, foot yep. forward is. And as people get stronger with that stuff and they're able to, to iron those, those differences out, they're, they're able to find that, oh, man, I have more stability when I ride split stance and, and stuff like that. So, um, well, it also dictates – I mean, usually you'll, you'll see that and you'll see somebody do a single leg squat or, or even just a single leg balance. And you'll see them struggle on one side more so than the other. And you ask them, hey, uh, do you switch back to your left, up and down better – then you're right, or you corner better to your left and to your right. Yeah, how'd you know? Yeah. Oh, lucky guess. <laughs> right, know? right, yeah. Yeah, it's so, fun to remember. A lot of people, they'll think that I just, I can't, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this a zillion times, I can't ride switchbacks. Well, my experience says that it's, everybody can ride a switchback. It's, there's something in the strength patterns that are giving them away that maybe it's neck mobility that's playing with their ability to turn their head and get some vision, which then sends a threat response into the body and tightens them up. Or it's a weak hip that's not playing correctly with the shoulder on the opposite side. And once those things get cleaned up, I mean, you're railing. You're cornering like a, a mad person just, just drilling it on the bike. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is uh, that is kind of the dirty little secret. Like, I can tell you how to do something all day long. But if you physically can't do right. it, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, I, you know, all watching all the YouTube videos on technique or going to skills camps. And again, like I'm, I'm a fan of skills training and skills camps and stuff, but you need to walk into those things with some, some basic mobility and stability present in the body in order to be able to actually do what you're being asked to do. And so, uh, um, yeah, there, there, you're right. There's so much of what people, file under uh just not being a quote-unquote natural rider 
really boils down to just not being able to, you know, uh, physically do what they need to do on their bike to, to do the stuff. And so all the, the bigger wheels and the lighter bikes and all that stuff isn't going to do <laughs> it for you. Um, you can't buy that stuff. But anyways, that's, that's a self-responsibility thing that isn't real popular in our society today. So, um, well, cool. Yeah. So the diagonal patterns and then also one of the things that was, uh, um, interesting that, that kind of kicked off this podcast cause you had, you'd sent me an article that you had, uh, written, you know, along, like I'd mentioned along with the diagonal patterns, the whole basic concept of left and right working together and vice versa is you have one on the front side and one on the back side of the body as well. And we kind of get forced into, uh, things getting out of whack and, and, um, uh, you know, not just from left to right, but from front to back as well, because of a lot of the daily activities and the riding and cycling, you know, what cycling does to us. So you had some really good thoughts and, and, and insights into some things that riders can do, uh, you know, post ride to kind of, you know, uh, work on correcting some of those things. So, um, yeah, why don't you, uh, share some of that stuff with us? Uh, I, I'm big on, on hitting the back half of the body post ride because, and it, I find a certain level of irony in this. You and I are sitting down right now as we record this podcast. And I'm going to rail sitting down. <laughs> uh, you know, we sit down all day in front of a computer and whatnot. A lot of people do particularly here in the Silicon Valley. And then you take that seated position, which closes off the front and you flex up a little bit and you lengthen the back half of your body. And then you put it on a bike and you do more of it. Right. You know, especially if, if you're, working on your TT position and everything else, you could get a hunch over even more. So when people ride, I, I think an optimal solution for them post-ride is to work the back half of the body, doing a lot of hinge work, hinging with pulling, uh, you know, the, the TRX, getting into that TYI position and really open up the back half of the body. And I'm not talking about, you know, a high-intensity interval-type workout. I'm talking about nice and easy smooth pace, nice and flowing motions of hip hinges and, uh, you know, reverse cobras and things. Anything that's going to open up the front half of the body and get that back half going. If you've got rubber tubing at home or even a TheraBand, a, a pull-through motion, which is essentially the kettlebell swing, but you're holding on to a TheraBand or a rubber tubing handle or a cable pulley handle in between the body and you're making the motion – and the hands they they stop at the hips. They don't they don't come up the way they would in the swing. That's a great way to unwind the body, definitely. Yeah, nice, um, cool. So besides that, you got any other like stretches or exercises or anything in particular you you like to recommend or uh, um, what was the uh, uh, if people wanted to go check out your site, which I'll hit on again, but is at uh, integratefitness.com. Um, if they wanted to check out that article. I mean, give us. What the, so I know that's a lot of questions. So one, <laughs> any, anything else that you like to use? And two, for people that are interested in learning more about it and want to check out that article, how can they find it? Okay, they can go to my site, uh, integratefitness.com, as Jane mentioned. They can also go to your Facebook page, I believe. It yeah, was we up posted there as well. it posted a couple weeks ago. That's right, yep. Yeah, you can find that. You can find that as well. And, you know, as far as anything else to use, I'm a big exercise band person because i work out at home yeah so i i don't have the luxury of putting a three thousand dollar cable pulley system in my backyard plus my wife probably wouldn't like it all that much <laughs> so i use tubing quite a bit for a lot of my pushing and pulling motions just because it's easy to hook up here at home and, and it's easy to use post ride you could put it in your car and use it on your rack right or hold on to or you could step on the tubing and and uh hold on to the handles and do you know, your remaining deadlift motion, your hip hinge motions and, and things like that. You know, a stick. I like having that dowel rod on the back post-ride, which is a great one where you put it on the back and, and your one hand of the small of the back holding on the stick and the other half of the stick is up by the head there and, and one hand's holding the stick against the head and you work on your hip hinge motions. But there's, there's very few ways that are better than that to groove that motion quite a bit to get that hip hinge going, the back half of the body going. There's something called a goat bag swing. It's a, it's a Dan John special that is great for working the back half of the body. You get a kettlebell or a dumbbell and you hold it near your collarbone. You just go into the hinge motion, kind of like a waiter leaning over to take your order type thing. Uh, he, Dan John is somebody that, that I feel is, gets it and he's a great person to learn from 
because he, he keeps things very simple. His, his big moves are a loaded carry, a squat, a hinge, a push, and a pull. And if you can get those motions down, I mean, gosh, you can combine squatting and pulling, you can combine hinging and pulling, you can combine squatting and pressing, you can combine single leg squatting, pressing, split stance, squat, hinge, pull, press. I mean, there's just a zillion things you can do. And then loaded carry, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it's just a great exercise because it's a walking plank, right? You can manipulate it however you want. So yeah. I think that, that, that that's the way to go post-ride. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, good. I like that. I mean, it, it's a little, you know, definitely do some foam rolling and some stretching. Uh, I hadn't really thought too much about kind of doing just some light movement, um, you know, with those posterior chain exercises to kind of counterbalance that. So, uh, so no, that was good. I like that, that, uh, that yeah. angle on it and definitely have to try that. Uh, so lateral lunges, that works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lateral lunging and crossover lunging works well too. Okay, cool. Where you yeah. Side to side and, and cross. The crossover lunge is great. You know, the, the curtsy lunge or whatever you want to call it. Cause it, it'll stretch out the hips a little bit too, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Yep. No, uh, anything that'll open up the hips is important. I think that's one of those, those things, especially mountain bikers, uh, don't really appreciate and think about as far as like how the, you know, the tighter your hips get, the harder it is for you to maintain your, uh, your quote unquote flow on the trail, right. that ability to get the hips moving freely around the bike and, and really moving from the hips. Like as you, uh, as you pedal more and and uh, spend more time in the saddle, the you know the hips get tighter, and so it makes it tougher. So yeah, anything that'll help open up the hips. Um, and, well, sure. And then it's going to translate up. down into your ankles, right? Especially for the for those of you, the, the one or two people who listen to James' show were clipped in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, I opened up a can of worms on that one. Nah, but, you know, uh, I'm sure yeah. I'm more than one or two. <laughs> uh, three or four. Uh, if you're clipped in, you know, it's, it's going to do a number on that stiffness going up into the body. And if you can stop it somewhere and, and get your hips nice and mobile or as mobile as possible, your chances of your ankles having mobility or better mobility post ride are going to go up quite a bit. You know, and it's, this goes into the way your toes move. You know, the, this morning I was, I was doing a group workout and I was noticing that some of the, the triathletes that were in there, they were doing lunges and all five toes weren't touching the floor when the legs were split, that back leg, the five toes weren't touching. That's big. You know, I mean, if you don't have that five toe contact, that pinky toe contact on the outside of the foot, you lose a lot of strength and mobility and stability out of your hips. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, people don't think about their foot so much. I had, uh, I don't know if you caught that interview I had with a guy named Andy Clowers, who is, uh, um, kind of forget all of his qualifications and stuff, but he was like a barefoot training expert. And one of the the interesting things that he pointed out was that when you when you put the foot and you stabilize it, you basically uh, it, it can't move freely. There's a um, your body responds to that. It senses that you know the, the like things stiffen up. The ankles will stiffen up, and the hips will have a harder time. So you know that is one of the reasons that like I do like to advocate um, flat pedals, especially for new riders, and and you know even you know, every rider should spend some time on them every year. Uh, but one of the reasons that I've had success with people um, kind of alleviating pain with flat pedals is that, you know, once you let your feet start moving freely and you start letting it get that, you know, and then using training like you're talking about to get that good foot contact and stuff like that. Like, I guess like the point of my uh, the point of the story is, is that people don't think about their feet and appreciate their feet enough. You right. know, even when you're strength training, you need to be thinking about how, what are my feet doing? Everything starts with the feet. So yep. how, how are my feet in contact with the ground? And, you know, a lot of times like, you know, the, uh, a lot of problems further up the chain can be found there. So, um, so cool. So you got any, I mean, this is like totally off of any subject that we had said we would talk about, but you got any, <laughs> any interesting tricks or, or things that you do to, uh, help kind of reset that. I mean, if you find somebody that's got really bad, uh, foot stability, um, what do you, what, what do you generally try to do to help with that? I like to go with the short foot approach. It's something that uh, a fellow named Charlie Weingroff, who's, if, if, he's great. He's got a DVD of one of his seminars. It's called rehab equals training, training equals rehab. Right. And if there are any trainers listening to the show, it's worth its weight in gold. It should be mandatory 
material for every strength coach to look at because Charlie's he's a genius. He really is. He's awesome. He talks a lot about what's called short foot, where you kind of try to shorten the arch of the foot a little bit to, to reactivate everything and get uh, what's like a tripod effect in the bottom of the foot. So it's right under the, the ball of the foot, under the big toe, pinky toe, and then the apex of the heel. Yeah. Uh, it's, it works really, really well. So one of the ways that I like to have people try to reset that is if they put their index finger up to about the second knuckle under their foot and then create that artificial arch and they hold that there, take the finger out, put it in the other foot, and then hinge or squat up and down, they will generally feel more stable, a lot more involvement of the hip muscles when they're doing something, and they'll feel better. You can keep knees from coming in towards the midline of the body a little bit. You know, it's not going to take care of an IT band issue, but it might help. Yeah. So it's that's one of the things that that I like to have people do when they when they're tra- most people I work with, actually all of them in my group settings anyway, they'll go barefoot or in socks or they wear vibrams, and it's just it's a lot easier for them to move around and and they get a better control of all the floor work that we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a huge fan of barefoot training, as you can tell. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I've probably, you can count on one hand the amount of times I've actually worn shoes in one of my videos. And <laughs> it cracks me up when I, every once in a while I will get someone going like, oh, dude, lifting barefoot is dangerous. What if you drop the weight on your foot? And it's just like, you moron, you think that little bit of, <laughs> of cloth is going to stop a weight? Like, I mean, it's yeah. better than nothing, but it's like, and that always cracks me up when, when people are like, your foot's in danger. And it's like, no, really, it's not mine. It's the person standing next to me. Because if I let go of the weight, I'm getting the hell out of the way. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, if, if Vibram made a shoe with the sole stiff enough, I'd wear it to ride. Yeah. yeah. I would. Yeah, you know, I haven't, uh, I have to admit, I'm, I have, since I work out at home so much, I just train like straight up barefoot. I've never gotten a pair of the finger shoes. But they uh, are. Uh, my wife has a pair, but I've never, nice. never took a plunge. Never took the plunge. It's an acquired taste, and it's it's one of those things where you hate them or you love them, right? You know, because on top of the the functional factor of the shoe, there's a potential funk that kind of comes along with right. having some of those, and uh, you know, it's not easy to clean those things. You can soak them and whatnot, and. Yeah, that's that's definitely one of the things you have to think about. But I like them quite a bit. I really do. And, and I can tell when I wear the Vibrams when I'm working out or if I wear them throughout the day and I go back into a regular shoe, it's my foot's not as happy because my toes yeah. don't splay and I don't get that same natural foot motion. And that's one of the things that, that I notice the most when I ride clipped in is because, you know, I use some specialized shoes and they're usually got a you know, generous toe box. But I can tell clipped in that my foot doesn't have that same freedom of motion. I don't have the same sensations up into the hip. Yeah. And when I'm riding on my flats and my tibia links, I feel a little more connected at the ankle into the hips on the yeah. bike. My hands seem to connect more to my feet through my core. And it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I know I'm preaching to the choir here and you're probably thinking, well, yeah, that's what I talk about. But, uh, no, no, no. I feel more connected, man. I feel the core engage more from the lat engage more. I feel those diagonal patterns hook up a little bit better. Yeah. Cornering seems to be a lot better. Yeah, well, it, uh, as this morning I was thinking about, um, that it's really, if you think about like, like flat pedals are how your body works. Like it's friction. It's your foot and friction. Like that's how you run. Like, you know, and, and, and the ability, like one of the things that separates like, you know, great athletes from everyone else is that ability to maintain balance and, and that friction on their foot, you know, like a, a football player cutting, you know, it, it, the, the, like he, he has to maximize the friction with the ground versus the, the directional force that he's putting into it. And if he, if he's, his balance is off, if he's, you know, too far over, his foot's going to slip out. If he's too far in, he's not going to get a good push off. And so, you know, part of, athletic skill and just human development is learning that interplay between your foot and friction on the ground and how to, you know, maintain that while moving and maintaining balance around it. And that's one of those things that, you know, when people first start riding, I mean, what's the number one complaint that they have is like, well, my feet fly off the pedals. And it's like, yeah, you haven't, you haven't learned the whole, how to transfer that friction thing the way that your foot actually works over the pedal jet just because it's a new skill and so they you know we bypass that whole thing by attaching the foot 
But again, if you think about it from a functional standpoint, it's completely different. Our feet, our feet don't attach to the ground. You know, our feet are using friction and not an attachment point. And so, you know, just those little things change that. But, you know, that's, you know, why we both like to spend some time on flats. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not, uh, I'm not anti-clipless. I'm pro flats, which is really hard for some people to wrap their minds around. Um, so, I why. yeah, yeah, I'm not anti anything. Manifesto or whatever it was you wrote. Yeah, I just I don't like people being anti-flats for no reason. Um, no, it's it's a great thing, and and if if you're gonna do it, you need to to do it in terms of get some good shoes and get some good pedals. You know, yeah. you don't have to spend zillions on each one, but you got it. You got to spend to get something that's got some good pins on it and you know you can go and find some decent pedals somewhere that that it can give you a good grip but the shoes and the the pedals together you you'll get that same sensation of being clipped in especially when you're coming back from bottom bits and back around i really don't notice a difference and people say well how can you climb push the pedals down and the bike goes forward uphill <laughs> it's kind of the same concept amazing, yeah. where you can't pull up like well yeah you're right but I can get my hips involved more when I push down and I feel my hammy right. sticking in more when I pull back. And it cleans up the pedal stroke on the road quite a bit. That's something I was telling James about last week is that uh, I did a flat pedal thing for about four weeks on my mountain bike last summer. And when I got back on the road, a lot of my PRs either dropped or, I got, or they were mashed because my feet were just moving in a much more efficient circle on the road bike, and it was it was great. Yeah, look at Again, you just, guys see this right now because we're doing it on Skype with video. But he's got this tremendous, look of Yeah. Oh, where'd you go? Oh no, yeah, we started cutting out there. You're still ah. there? Oh no, all right, Skype's playing with us, but I can still hear you, but I can't see you anymore. But yeah, it's funny because that's. That's the thing I joke about is like, honestly, everybody who's like, oh, you hate clipless pedals and blah, 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 blah. It's like, dude, honestly, I'm giving you the secret to getting more out of your clipless pedals. If you would, <laughs> if you would learn to ride on flats, you would actually gain more out of your clipless pedals. So I'm giving you the secret to getting more out of them and people don't want it. So anyway, that's fine. <laughs> I apologize for putting the soapbox for a day. Down. <laughs> oh man! All right, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah that's fun. Plus, it's just fun. I mean, the one thing I noticed the most was it returned the element of fun to my riding that I hadn't had in a while. Because when you're a kid, what do you do? You don't to go into your room and dig out your baggies or your lycra or whatnot and and warm up and get on your bike and go. You put on your drawers, you throw a leg over the top tube, and you you go right. Yeah. You go and you jump on curbs or if you were like us when we were kids in my neighborhood, the older you were, the closer you were to the launching point on the ramp. And yeah. the younger you were, you're kind of further out on the landing area. So we would do that on our, on our mongoose bikes, you know, on our, our BMX bikes. And it was just fun because you're just riding. You're not worried about your equipment or anything else. And it's like that with flats for me now. It's It, it takes the edge of the training edge off of my ride and it just puts fun back into it. And the reason that I originally picked up mountain bike action for the very first time or bike magazine for the very first time. So I, I like that. It, it just, like I said, it makes it more fun. Yeah. No, it's, it's a good training tool. So like I said, I, I, I appreciate your, uh, your insights into it kind of coming from a different perspective. And like I said, one of the things that, uh, that I found interesting and wanted to get you on because, uh, you know, most people would, would think a guy who works mainly with, uh, you know, century road cyclists and triathletes and stuff like that wouldn't, uh, wouldn't use flat pedals and wouldn't use strength training to do it. So, uh, um, yeah, it's good to talk to a fellow, fellow, yeah. fellow kindred spirit, I guess, shall we say. Well, I started out on flats, and then I got lured in to being clipped in because of magazines, more or less, and or watching races and whatnot. And, you know, I hated it initially. I hated being clipped in. I crashed so much, and it wasn't around a corner or anything else. It was at a dead stop, right? Yeah. You don't want to clip out in time, and you fall over at a dead stop, and those people are like, oh, my God, you okay? You're like, yeah, my ego hurts worse than anything else, and I'm fine. And I went back to flats for a while, and then I found Crank Brother candy pedals and then i kind of went back to being clipped in and then it wasn't until you and i spoke at some point last year where where you essentially just give it a shot for four weeks and see what happens like 
I, you know, I've, I've loved spending needless money on my bike. <laughs> let's do it. Why not? Let's get some shoes. Let's get some pedals. Let's do this thing. So I got some uh, Craig Brother the 5050s and Tiva Links and took it out for a ride, and, and it was great. And then that was the gateway drug to HTM301, the magnesium pedals, and then the, the Canfield Brother Crampon Ultimates, right? Yeah. And it's, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy riding on flats nice. and it's not hard as it, it, it's really not it's it's more foot position on the pedal descending you know that heel drop it's i find it easier to move around the bike a little bit more yeah and uh you know i ride a two niner and i'm a small guy i'm only about five seven five eight so i've got to move that bike around as much as possible when i'm doing technical stuff or cornering so i can get it to get through a turn and i find that being on my flats it's a little bit easier because i I also have that comfort level of knowing that if, when in doubt, kind of get out, I can put my foot down a lot easier. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yep. It's all blasphemy. You know that, right? It's all your fault. Like, if you had the pedal set correctly, you never have to worry about any of it. <laughs> Everyone listening to this has never had that issue. I just, that's the thing that drives me nuts is like when people just, you know, they're all like, oh, it's, it's always your fault that you fell over at a stop sign was your fault yeah. because you didn't have the pedal set correctly. And it's like, oh my God, man, like it's operator error. stop. Yeah. Stop blaming the victim in the situation here. So, um, yeah, yeah. no, it's good, man. Good. Excellent. So I guess, uh, man, shoots, man, we had a kind of a list of topics. I think we've, we've hit on, um, quite a bit of them. Did you have anything else you kind of wanted to to touch on or, or throw out there to yeah, bat around for my own uh, edification here. When I went from specialized the body comp pros or whatever their carbon salt shoe is and the candy brothers to the links and particularly the, the crap on ultimates, it doesn't really get me so much with the 50 fifties, but the stack height adjustment seemed to be a lot trickier to dial in because of the thin nature of that crap on pedal and the different, I don't know if you want to call it stack height or not, of the Tiva link. So what are some ways to, to do that? Because my fitting is, I'm the princess in the P. If my saddle changes a millimeter, I know about it. I can just sense it. My body doesn't like what's going on. It drives me insane. So if I could, you know, glean one piece of knowledge from you, how, how do you go about setting that up? If you know, you should set that. You should create that system on your site. If you buy <laughs> these pedals and these shoes, you came from these pedals and these shoes. This is how you should move your saddle. Um, man, I don't know is the short answer to that. I, oh. I, I, I mean, you know, I mean, you could, you could bust out all the, I don't know. I mean, why don't you have them like measure you and fit you on your flats? Ooh, I thought about that. Yeah. See, that's the thing I've always wondered. Like how much of all these formulas, like here's a question for you. Would, would suspension manufacture, like the people that make suspension, would they change things around if they assumed that people were going to stand up more? Like, because if you think about a suspension set up with your with your hips, and you're told to set your sag with your hips set in the saddle behind the bottom bracket, but there's actually three positions your hips, four positions your hips can be in. And then if you want to get diagonal, it gets even crazier. But like, you got behind the bottom bracket, above the bottom bracket, and in front of the bottom bracket. And all three of those hip positions, like when you're climbing up a hill, you know, your hips actually are going to move in front of your bottom bracket. It's not going to be weighted on the back like it was. So, anyways, I've always wondered, like, you know, we always just make this assumption that everybody's going to spend most of their time with their ass back there. But what if there's an, what if we don't? What if we stood up more? And so, uh, you know, anyways, I guess, like, my point is, like, I just, I, I am such a huge advocate for standing up that I, I find that the seated, like, for me, like, it's funny, you watch me out there pedaling around, like my seat is way too low, my dropper post, because I want my drop, when I drop my dropper post, I want it to get low, so when that thing comes up, and I sit down to pedal, dude, it probably makes some like bike fit expert cringe, man, because my knees are not fully extending, I'm not, you know, blah, 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 but, you know, I don't have any knee issues, I don't have any back issues, I don't have any postural issues, and part of it, I think, is the, is the strength training, but part of it, I think, is because of how much I stand up and and pedal, and and that uh, um, 
I don't know, you know. I know there's a place for it, but I think that if you're riding for less than two hours, that really you should be able to stand up and give her most of the time. Um, so I don't really put a whole lot of thought into that. I honestly think bike fits are, are vastly overrated for mountain bikers and oftentimes can screw up their – if they mess with your stem position, like your stem, you know, and they go, oh, you need a longer stem or blah, 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 something like that. Like it can actually mess up your handling on the on the bike, so you know it, it. I guess if you go to a guy who understands mountain bike fitting and go with him, go to him with your flats, that should kind of like take care of that that issue. But converting a road bike inspired bike fit on clipless pedals to a to flats, I I don't know how you would how you would convert the math on that. But I guess you'd have to go with what the thickness of the pedal. And then try to guesstimate whatever the shoe would be in comparison to what you're coming from, maybe? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, could just set the seat height and if it doesn't feel right, change it a little bit. <laughs> Might take you a week or two. There but, you go. There you go. And then yeah. once you get off your bike, work on your diagonal loading patterns. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a simple man. I just jump on my flat pedals and go out and pedal. And, uh, but yeah, it's funny, man. It's like I'm I'm almost legendary around here for how much I stand up. It's like people just freaking laugh about it. I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. That's all I know. It's like if you stand up all the time, you'll just get so strong at standing that it's all that you know. And you'll actually like, if I sit down, if I try to hunker down and apply power in a seated position, man, it just, I can feel like when I get tired, I have to do it, but I can feel like my body hates it. It is, it, it is not comfortable in that position. But it's so comfortable standing sure. that it's like it's really effortless for me a lot of times. Um, once you get all the the balance points and all that stuff down, so again, my challenge would be continue to stand. And, yeah, I think uh, if you get the rear wheel to hook up, then standing shouldn't be. And you, should, you know, obviously, you got to have the right tires for the terrain you're you're on. But if you can get that that what is it a slight wheel lift in the front to get that back wheel to hook up whenever you're out of the saddle when you're pushing down on the pedals, right? Yeah. Well, again, like again, this is just my theory, but I don't think that your butt being in contact with the seat contributes a whole lot to your traction on the rear end. Not as much as people think. I think it's the position of your hips. Your hips are back over the rear axle. You're when you're climbing, your seated hip position happens to be there. But I, but if, I mean, if you think about it, where it, you look at the angle of the seat post going into the bike, it's not going down into the wheel. It's not actually, you know what I mean? It's not going down and to help with the traction. Now, obviously, you being able to like create some stability into the bike and I, 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 there's something there. I'm not saying that, that, that you're not contributing at all by having your butt in contact with the seat. Obviously, it helps some, but. I don't think that it's it's as much as people really think, and it's not for the reasons that they think. Because once, you, if you can get your hips back in that same position, and again, it takes a really strong like hip hinge, you know, to, to get down that low. But if you can get your hips back and down and get down into a tiny little ball, you don't actually have to touch your your butt to the seat, and man, you can generate massive amounts of traction with with that that position and 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 uh, it takes a little while again to like get that but um again that's just my own theory but when i look at it i'm like there's just no way that your butt being in contact with the seat is contributing that much to the downward pressure that you need to improve your 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 tire patch like when you're on flat ground yeah you know because of the angle of the seat too but sure. as soon as you get up and that angle starts going forward more than down so anyways that's just... well that's why the, the hip hinge is so important to learn right because if you don't have that mobility yes the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. The hips to get that that hinge position then you can't get at the angles to have your your four points of contact when you're standing your both hands and both feet no. and be able to put down the appropriate amount of power because maybe you'll get people whose backs round out or they'll get a little bit of a, a tilt underneath with their hips when they're riding or the shoulders will jump up or come forward and they just don't have that optimal alignment that you need to be able to go on a mountain bike ride for you know two three four hours at a time because in the saddle off off road there's more i feel there's more of a demand on your body physically i mean sure riding 100 miles is not easy and you're probably gonna get what six seven thousand if not more feet of elevation gained on the road doing that 
But uh, I find myself more fatigued after a long mountain bike ride, simply for the fact that there's more from the trail coming into the bike, into my body, that I have to kind of fight and work around. Yeah. And then all the climbing, you have to work harder to climb uphill just in terms of body position and everything else. You, it's, you can't just sit and spin. And then, you know, you, what if you come up on a rock garden and uh, you got to lay down a little bit of power to get through a rock garden or you got the roots and, and everything else. So that hip hinge position is critical to keep your back healthy and your hips online and shoulders happy. If your shoulders are happy, it's easier to keep your elbows where they're supposed to be. It's easier to keep the wrists where they're supposed to be if the elbows are at the right angle. And uh, it just makes riding a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. But yeah, that, that hip hinge pattern, being able to crouch down and get down a, a, a lot of a lot of what people assume traction problems standing up is body position issues. I mean, that's just period, you know, on the bike. A lot of it is just body position issues. So, but uh, that's where guys like you and I try to help riders because uh, you move better off the bike, you're going to move better on the bike. And Well, that's the thing. You know, I, I tell a lot of the, the people that I work with, I, I say I don't really care how fast you ride up. A particular hill. I don't care what your last field test time was. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is, can you hinge and squat and push and pull and pick something up and move it correctly? Because if you can off of your bike, when you get back on it, oh man, it's going to be so much easier for you. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt, man. That's, uh, that is a take-home message. Is And, and like we kind of kicked it off, you know, it's the, the strength and mobility stuff, the efficiency stuff that we're talking about and that we, that we try to work with riders on. I mean, it's it, it's not an, an additive thing. It's a, it, it multiplies, you know, like when you, when you add, when you take a more efficient body and then you have it go out and ride and you have it do the cardio training, it's, it gets more out of those things. So, um, so yeah, no, man, it's, uh, it, it's, it's good stuff. Um, well, that's why it's so important to have that stability because you're allowing to to exhibit and if you're not stable you can't you can't put it out so it, it just if i find it funny that there are certain segments of the endurance sports population that still don't go into a gym or they feel that if they go into a gym they're robbing peter to pay paul and their cycling performance will suffer but that's that's very much not the case i mean if, if you're going to put yourself back together from repetitive stress motion what better environment to do it than off of your bike in a gym where you can move in a three-dimensional set of, of motions. It, it, it's, I just find it funny. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, it's all uh, like old Musashi said uh, back in 16-whatever when he wrote the Book of Five Rings, you know, <laughs> warrior is fierce in battle because his training is fierce. And, like, if we just... If we just understand that you know training and and how we move on and off the bike are all connected to each other, and we're just trying to, you know, strength training is it's just movement practice. And if if we look at it the right way, we'll be able to improve the movements that we need on and off the bike, and then that's gonna improve our riding. So yeah, it's just oh, yeah. everything is everything. I, I think that's where a lot of riders get in trouble is where they try to compartmentalize their training and they don't understand how cardio training and strength training blend and flow into each other and, and work with each other that it's not, you know, an either or proposition. It's like, you know, I mean, we, there's, you know, where, where does strength training end and cardio training begin? I mean, I was doing some freaking double kettlebell complexes today. I'm not doing more than, you know, five reps of any single exercise, but I'm, huffing and puffing and breathing oh, yeah. like a mother. So it's like, is that cardio or is that strength training? You know? I call that definitely anaerobic strength training. Right, yeah, but that's what I'm saying, like the, the thing, blurred right? line and, and how they, there isn't, there's not that, that clear distinction like a lot of people assume, like I, I do cardio and I do strength. And it's like, well, you know, they, they need to kind of work with each other. Yeah, and, and I don't think that physiologically the body knows the difference between what stimulus is providing the elevated heart rate and increased oxygen consumption. It just knows that, oh my God, there's a demand on my body right now. And this just hurts, you know, right. whether it's running up a hill or riding up a hill or in a pool or doing density grinds in the gym or metabolic circuit training. I mean, the stimulus is a stimulus is a stimulus, I would think. Yeah, well, you know, you move first and then you start breathing hard. That's what people forget. Like the cardio <laughs> system supports movement, not the other way around. And so you have to train movement 
and and let the cardio system support it, not try to train cardio and movement be damned. But right, right. Uh, um, yeah, no, that's all. And I think uh, uh, too, um, you're, you you mentioned like Dan John and the loaded carries and, and farmers walks and stuff like that. And I think that uh, that's such a great exercise for mountain bikers. Um, for a lot of different reasons, but you know, like, you know, one of the things that it does, it teaches you how to, um, breathe under tension and remain, you know, so, you know, that's one of those really important skills that, you know, you, you know, climbing up a hard, you know, climb and, and you're, you know, getting to the top and, you you know, you got to like gut out that last little bit and that ability to like maintain, you know, control and your breathing and all that under tension, um, is really, you know, helpful. So again, just like you were saying, just some of the, the stuff that we do off the bike, um, you know, teaches us some lessons that we can use on the bike. So, uh, that's why it's good to get out and cross train and do other things and just ride. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely. Excellent. Excellent. Well, right on Al. I know, uh, I know you got to get going here. got some clients and stuff eagerly awaiting your time. And so, uh, yeah, it's been fun. We'll, uh, we'll post this up and, uh, I don't know, we'll see if maybe do another one. I know we didn't even get into CrossFit and all that stuff. So, uh, <laughs> we'll leave that one for another, another one. Uh, yeah, so, we might have to have about a three or four hour podcast. Just based <laughs> on the conversation we had about that offline last week, I think this would probably fry your hard drive with the amount of information that would be put on it. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, man. Well, excellent. And again, anyone that wants to check you out, um, can go to integratefitness.com. You've got a newsletter people can subscribe to there. You're always posting really good, uh, stuff. But definitely anybody listening to this that does, uh, triathlons or, you know, uh, century road rides, things like that, along with your mountain biking, definitely go check out, uh, coach out because, uh, he knows a lot more about that stuff than I do. Um, that uses similar philosophy. So, uh, if you like, that um yeah there you go so uh right on now any any parting words of wisdom or anything you want to leave us with yeah thank you very much for having me on the show james i i really appreciate it and i hope that this is something that the listeners enjoy once they're able to hear it yeah no i, I think that they will so excellent well thanks for sharing your insights and uh and everything with us and uh, once again it's been james willis with mtb strength training systems you guys can check me out on the web at bikejames.com and i'll uh, talk to everyone next time